Hello everyone. This is Tom Uren. I'm here with the Gruck for another Between Two Nerds. G'day Gruck, how are you? G'day Tom, I'm good and yourself? I'm well. This episode is sponsored by Thinkst and I had a chat with Haroon Mir and that's out on the channel this week and we talk all about how attackers win and what that means. Now, Ruck, we thought today we'd talk about the kind of, well, I guess it's the idea of a cyber command. And if you're, you know, a bright young country and you're thinking about whether to get into the cyber game, the topic we thought we'd tackle is what should you expect out of a cyber command and should you get started on that journey? Right. Yeah, it's, it's very much the what to expect when you're expecting to cyber. And <laughs> and it's a funny question because Max Smeets has, has written an entire book about what's, what's actually motivating countries and what's sort of driving them to do it right now. Yeah, and so he looked at European countries, is that right? Correct. I, I was thinking maybe we could start by sort of speculating about why the uh. U.S., headed down this road Did he? because as far as i know they're the first one who's got that model and to clarify when i think of a cyber command i think of something that would use cyber capabilities in a military way to apply some sort of force mm-hmm. like a military force rather than an intelligence force right it's very much like a tool of state power but on the more violent end and more, more forceful, and it's not the you know subtle, covert, um, you know, uh, influence operation sort of thing. It's it's oh, much right, more. Yeah. I wouldn't even have called intelligence a tool of state power. I would have I would have called it uh, something that informs state power. If if it was purely passive, yes, but it's not right. Well, what do you mean when it's not passive? Um like covert operations do happen. Okay, yeah. I, I think of them as something different. But they're done by the intelligence services. I mean... <laughs> well, it, I usually... Mean, <laughs> usually not by the cyber ones, though. Yes. So far. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think that that's a permanent state of affairs. I think that that's the... Um, it's very much a yet, you know. I think it will be... Um, and you know, well, certainly. I, I mean, I, I guess I would call Cyber Command um, that type of organisation would be the one that would be responsible for those kind of active campaigns. You would not get that past CIA. There is no <laughs> way they're giving that budget up. <laughs> no, no, no. In terms of the in in cyber theoretically, right? Yeah. Theoretically, oh no, the same thing, same thing, man. It's which speaking of budget, I think that actually sort of that kind of captures why there is a cyber command. At least this is this is purely speculation on my part. I don't know the actual story. It might be something else entirely. But at, at Pentagon, like, the big battle is always about budget, where, like, every year one-third of the defense budget goes to the Army, one-third to the Navy, and one-third to the Air Force, and then whatever is left over is, like, the, you know, Coast Guard and, you know, whatever other little agencies sort of get their thing. But it's it's very much about how budget gets split up. And I think that the issue is sort of like if you come up and say like, okay, we need to do cyber. Is it going to be, you know, Air Force cyber, Army cyber, or Navy cyber? And 
it doesn't really make sense to have three duplicates. Mm. You know, that's sort of very inefficient. It's going to be a waste of money. It's going to be, you know, you're going to have doctrine problems where they each develop their own. Uh, you're going to have silo problems where there's no information sharing between them. Um, and so the solution would be sort of to create a, a, a virtual arm of the military where each actual service contributes people and budget. Mm-hmm. And so this thing is sort of, it's funded by all of them. It's staffed by all of them. It's its own command in that it doesn't have um, oversight from the Air Force or the Navy or the you know Army particularly. However, it doesn't have budget separate from them. You know, like it's a, right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not its own. Um, it's not leeching any of their budget from like the big pie. It's getting what they decide to give it. All yeah, right. but so, I mean, there, there had to have been a driver for them to think that they even needed to create one, right? So my right my, my thinking was that the the stated purpose originally was to do network defense, or at least the stated public purpose mm-hmm. i kind of suspect that events like stuxnet uh would have opened people's eyes to the potential for the military application for, of force and they would have mm-hmm. gone okay well here's an example of something we could potentially do right uh, and that would start you down a, a long road of building up and then at some point you yeah. might decide we need a separate command so right. the, that that's kind of my I guess, impression just from sort of looking at the public history of things sure. that it could have gone I, down like that. And I, I think part of the driver for that might have been the, if the constant drop, if there's this constant drumbeat of, you know, like cyber Pearl Harbor, there could be a cyber Pearl Harbor. This is devastating. It's like a, a nuclear bomb, you know, blah, 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 blah. At some point, the politicians being scared about all this stuff is like, they're going to say, do we have one of those? <laughs> so, right. <laughs> The story I've heard is that War Games, the Matthew Broderick movie, <laughs> um, Ronald yep. Reagan, I think, saw it and quite enjoyed it. And he asked, you know, could something like that actually happen? <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the generals went away and came back a few weeks later and said, oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so it can be yeah. something, something that's both trivial and impactful. <laughs> right. Okay, but let's 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 assume for sake of argument that you've decided that there's a need for a military cyber. That you've 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 looked at the world today and you've decided okay, like well, we, hang we, on. I think I think we should ask whether it makes sense. So I think for the US it makes sense. Uh-huh. And the way I think of it is that you can do different things with cyber command than you can with your army navy air force right so it's right it it gives you more options that are uh, less lethal yeah and america is a big country there's lots of people if you grab a couple of thousands or tens of thousands or whatever to work on you know bits and bytes it's not going to degrade your military capability right you're not robbing peter to pay for it, it costs you a bit more money Right, and it's it's also I think uh, along those lines is you have so many uh, qualified people who can become cyber operators and cyber specialists and all that stuff that 
you don't decrease your defensive capability, you know, your, your red teamers and, and stuff like that, you're, you're not negatively impacting the rest of your cybersecurity by creating a cyber command. So it, it kind of makes sense for the US, right? Right. But if you're a different kind of country, perhaps um, like the Netherlands. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, they're a great example in that they're incredibly capable in cyber, but they obviously have to allocate the limited resources to to this thing or that thing or the other. They, they, they've got like, what, 4 million people or something? I thought it was total. 10. <laughs> um, let me actually just check how how big the Netherlands is. Oh, it's 17 million. What? Yeah. Now, Netherlands, I, I think of Cyber Commands as projecting power. Mm-hmm. And the Netherlands, I don't think it really makes sense. I think it makes sense to have some group of people who do intelligent stuff and maybe occasionally mm-hmm. do something active. But I wouldn't rip yeah. them out and put them in a separate military command and say, you're you're here to support the military. Uh, yes. And and I'm going to say that the, I think there's two very good reasons for that. One is they don't have, I think that they do not have the cyber capacity to have sort of two excellent cyber groups. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think that would really strain them to split them up. And I think one of the problems with a military cyber command is that it doesn't get that much use compared to the intelligence one. Right. If you've got an intelligence cyber group, there's always intelligence to do. Right. You you, you can always steal information from someone. Right. That you you're never really sitting on your hands, twiddling your thumbs, waiting for something to happen. The world is full of secrets. <laughs> right. Whereas, you're not really using your military all the time, with some very notable exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. At, at least. For the Netherlands, the world isn't full of conflicts they're involved in. <laughs> right. And so you you would sort of, you would either have something made up of the dregs because you don't want to starve your active cyber group. Yep. So you'd have whatever is left over running your military one. Or you would be starving your active cyber. Yep. So yeah, like what you would end up with is really good people doing nothing or really bad people who you're going to expect to do something when you need them. And I don't think either of those is a good... But despite that, they actually do have a cyber command. Do you know if it's responsible for that kind of active military stuff? Because a lot of them are just the sort of defensive people. I, I think it's defensive. Like, I, I don't think that they've got active stuff. Like, it is called the Defense Cyber Command. Right. Uh, what about the UK? So it's only 60 million people three times or so the size of the Netherlands, yet to me, mm-hmm. their conception of a cyber command, uh, what's it called? The National Cyber Force. Right. Actually makes sense. Like they've yes. got a, I guess it's a conop or an idea of how they want to operate. They've been doing signals intelligence and yeah, uh, I guess I'll call it cyber intelligence for a long time. So they're, they're very well practiced and still sort of have kind of diminishing global interests <laughs> where, where for the same reason that it kind of makes sense for the US, I, I think it makes sense for the UK. I think it makes more sense for the UK because it's a bit cheaper to have mm-hmm. a cyber command than to have an aircraft carrier, for right. example. And if you're sort of a, um, 
a declined empire and you're still looking to have a bit of global footprint, uh, cyber might be a good way of, of doing that within your budget. Right. Yep. So there has been some rhetoric from UK politicians that uh, was kind of nonsensical. I would say about you know the battles of the future will be fought on keyboards instead of on. On la- hear that Russia. <laughs> <laughs> um, so even though yeah. it does make sense, it could well be that the internal political rationale was nonsensical. Absolutely, I, I I think that they looked at it as the it's cheaper than aircraft carriers, therefore we don't need aircraft carriers, which I think it's the. Um, that's the it, wrong way to look at it. It's it's better to look at it as like, we we have aircraft carriers, now we need cyber. At least it's cheaper than an aircraft carrier. <laughs> well, I was thinking it's more the we can't afford aircraft carriers, <laughs> so let's buy something else instead that we can afford. Right. Um, yeah. No, I I think that's fair, and I think that one of the important things here is that the UK does have GCHQ with a long history of doing active operations they, mm-hmm. they know what they're doing they can draw on all of that expertise and to sort of put it somewhere sort of outside just a purely intelligence world to put it in a more national uh you know a, a tool of state power mm-hmm. it, as a separate entity that does make sense because they've already been using it as a tool of state power so they could just say we're pulling this out and we're funding it a bit more heavily as its own thing right now uh, one thing I thought didn't make sense was to put the command like geographically quite distance <laughs> from GCHQ. I thought that was a bad decision, but let's not litigate that right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was not sure that the location was the right choice. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll agree on that. Right, right. Okay, so I'll put my organizational change salesperson hat on (laughs) and i'm talking to a country that doesn't have that kind of organization uh, but they're thinking about it and if i was to sell it to them i would say look with a modicum of investment we'll work with your intelligence people (laughs) and we'll develop some capabilities that we'll use at particular points that may make a difference for something we care about. I don't know what that is right now, but it, it could be something, and it'll be something that you can't buy with a weapon system, uh-huh. and it'll be cheap in comparison to buying missiles or bombs or whatever. Now, it's not the same as right. missiles or bombs or whatever, but it'll be different. That doesn't seem to me to be a compelling sales pitch at all. So I, I think I think you're missing out on at least one thing there, which is that um, if you're concerned about defending your cyber stuff, if you're concerned about cybersecurity, you want to know where attacks are going, like what is the right. future, and what is uh, what is possible, right? Like you you want people who can say, yes, iOS is very secure. However, here is how we break it. Right. Right. And then someone can look at that and say, okay, so these are the particular threats that I need to be aware of and consider as possibilities, right? Or you, you want people who can say, um, yes, these sorts of firewall or security products or whatever will provide this level of security that we can rely on. We've tested them and we know that they're you know, good for this sort of thing. However, 
these are ways around it. Like you need people to know that stuff. Like you need to know what the state of the art offense is. Right. To right. be able to plan and manage your defense. Right. But do you need a, a specific offensive organization to do that? Or can you get just get by nah, with a you, cybersecurity you could, center? You could cheat, I think. Like you, you do <laughs> well, like you don't need an entire command right. to have a red team, you know, right. and, and a Vuln research development team. Right. Like that's a that's a department, not a command. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a, a thing that you could just set up sort of anywhere with a few dozen people. But I I don't know, like what what are the things that you could actually do well, concretely? I mean, like what would be uh, useful? Let's say you're you're Indonesia. Yeah. Well I was thinking of Iran and North Korea who mm-hmm. have <laughs> who have demonstrated the willingness to do those kinds of operations, destructive ones. And mostly I would kind of describe them as sort of varying from being a pain in the ass to potentially quite destructive at times. And so whoever sold them the idea was we want to hit back and here's a way mm-hmm. we can do it with uh, relatively low risk to, mm-hmm. the, to the country itself um, and at times quite damaging, I think. Low risk but also long reach. Yeah. Right, yep. like North North Korea is not really going to be. There's not a lot they could do to post people into Europe and cause destructive damage. Right, like that would that would be very hard for them to do with physical people. At well, a I mean, significant scale. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it also risks a lot more blowback. Mm-hmm. To me, right. that's the bigger thing rather than the. Yes, and I, I, I would say that you're correct, but. <laughs> I don't think they massively outweigh each other. Right. right. I think that the the ability to reach far and to reach many places for relatively low costs mm-hmm. is important. And the fact that that's low blowback is super useful. I think it makes sense if you're, you know, if you're already a pariah state. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're kind of unconstrained because they've got nothing to lose. Whereas if right. you're somewhere like Indonesia... Right. They're a responsible state. They're not going to go... They're looking for more credit on the world stage, not less. Yeah. Right? They're, they're looking yeah. to build goodwill. So, um, yeah. So, I don't think it's a, a very good sales pitch to be, you could be like North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever wanted to steal crypto? <laughs> now you can. <laughs> yeah. So that that sales pitch is, in, in a way, it's, it's more, uh, in a way, it's more enticing, but it, it just... It's it's not what people want. It's more sensational yeah. as a sales pitch. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. So, like, are, are you sick of all the cool kids hanging out and ignoring you? <laughs> Would you like to throw rocks at cars? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's it certainly appeals to a particular type, but it's not a universal thing. So, yeah, like, what what could you do if you're, you know, Malaysia or uh, Indonesia or you know? Uh, like a nice, solid, like developing, up and coming country. You're like you're, you're not a global power. You're you're pretty strong regionally. Um, you're not facing significant military threats of any particular kind. So it's not like you're looking at cyber as a way of augmenting your existing military capabilities. Like yeah. you might want to, just because you know your your neighbors are doing it, and it, you know you're not going to be left behind. But I mean, practically. 
does it does it make sense like the the more you talk the less it seems to me to make sense except for that keeping up with the neighbors yeah and so i was going to bring up is that like like if we look at an actual war that's going on mm-hmm. and we say like how how is cyber contributing to that or would we look at either belligerent and say if only they had a cyber command this thing would be in the bag right like what's what's holding them back is a, a lack of a unified cyber command really you know, making decisive cyber operations. Decisive cyber strikes. Yes, the, the, the lack of a unified, coherent cyber fires strategy is what's limiting the, these guys from achieving final victory. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, none of the countries that I'm thinking of that are in that kind of middle nation type status that we're talking about are in that situation where they're likely to either be invaded or invade uh-huh. and then i think you're right it, it's not a decisive factor so then it's the opportunity cost what else would you be doing with those people i think for most of those countries they would be better off focusing on intelligence collection rather uh-huh. than devoting effort to military to sort of, cyber or yeah, whatever that is yeah so, so it's it would be kind of a um what's the word a contingency type capability yeah. that it's and i think one of the things that stems from that as well is that if you have existing intelligence cyber capabilities that you are actively using if you need to stand up a military cyber capability overnight that's actually fairly easy right, right? like yep. you go you go to your existing cyber team and you say hey do a military right yep. and and you get one so it's <laughs> <laughs> you know you sort of you get like all of the benefits of having cyber now that you can actually use. And should the need arise, you can rapidly stand up a yep. military cyber force. I think that's sort of the way to go. So what I would bring up is that there's this sort of um, this, this tripartite framework of looking at cyber from a military perspective, right? That there's sort of three things you can do with cyber and mm-hmm. they, they get discussed with various terms, but it's, it's basically influence, disruption and intelligence you've got information warfare stuff you know influence you've got effects operations or disruption destruction you know or or manipulation whatever active stuff and then you've got intelligence collection sort of passive and of those three things information is not necessarily uh, linked with cyber operations in the same way so it's not they can be an enabler if you're doing certain things Right, but they, they don't require access or, you know, vulnerabilities or, or malware or anything in the same way. So they, they're right, not yeah. in contention for the same resources. Right. But effects and intelligence. So effects are useful sometimes, like just before an operation or sending a message or, you know, signaling. But intelligence is useful always. Mm-hmm. Right? There's basically never a time when having more information is not useful. And so, like, you've got so much cyber force available and you want to put it into something. You can put it into intelligence and it will always have a return. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, make effects from that when you need them. Or you can split it up and have your effects guys sort of doing nothing all of the time and atrophying. Right. Right. Which is, yeah, that's one of the things we've spoken about as well is that the, if you're not doing operations, you're sort of, not developing the skills and the knowledge and the experience that you need to do operations. Yep. 
like one of the things we've talked about using those capabilities for is to disrupt cyber criminals. Mm-hmm. So do you think it makes sense for all these middle c- countries to have an intelligence agency that also goes around disrupting cyber criminals? Like, is well, that just it, chaos or does it just make sense? You know, if if they partner with law enforcement to give it a veneer of, um, <laughs> you know, legality and respectability and all that, absolutely. And And I think that that would be at least for us observers, that would be very interesting to watch. It would be a lot of fun. <laughs> when Australia announced that it was going to task its SIGINT agency, ASD, to disrupt cybercrime, my first thought was that's a terrible idea because it'll encourage all sorts of other countries to do exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now I kind of think, well, what else are you going to do? Um, And so I think it's a a sort of logical consequence that other countries might look at that and go, hey, why don't we do that? Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is other countries have different conceptions of who's a criminal. But the things you can do with cyber capabilities are are kind of inherently limited. Like countries Mm -hmm. are not going around assassinating people through computers. Except in movies. Yeah. So like I'm I'm kind of fine with it now. Yeah. Well, I I think the other thing is that I'm not sure that the the West doing it or not doing it would be the decisive factor in an authoritarian regime deciding to pursue it. Right, yes. They're going to do it if they think it's in their best interests. Right. Not yeah. like, oh, the, the Australia's doing it. That means it's okay. We should do this too. <laughs> I mean, I'd, you might have a slightly different view of your, your country's level of importance in world affairs. <laughs> sitting there is like but what would Australia do <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot Greg. thanks a lot Tom <laughs>